Welcome in to another episode of We're Talking, and we're talking baseball with Danny Reed. Danny, how are you this morning? What's going on, buddy? Oh, just living the dream, you know, driving back from St. Marcus. Marcus, not Marcos, I've been told by the Texans after getting uh, stomped around a little bit there. But hey, sometimes you need a good ass whooping to come out and fight a little harder. I guess that's not what my people want to hear, but hey. It, no, it's not. But at the same time, to still be in the discussion for at, at least that large, or for some reason, you don't win the tournament, and there is still a chance that the Sun Belt gets four teams. I think three are locks right now, but maybe a fourth would need to win the tournament. But still, you're sitting at 56 with the other three, top 31. A good showing this weekend, even though it's against a lower RPI team in Little Rock because Georgia Southern can relate to that, and then winning a few games in Montgomery, I would think it's the Cajuns pretty clearly on the picture and gives the Sun Belt four. But with the way that the pitching sets up for you guys with having three starters, I wouldn't think that at least a semifinal appearance isn't out of the question. Yeah, I'm, I'm not – totally discouraged and, and i guess well we're talking about it let's let's go right into that game you know uh we talked off air texas state can really hit the hit the baseball um, that is what we talked about last week um you know they're they're a team though uh coach does a good job of guys that aren't necessarily bombers i mean it's like every third guy can really hit a home run so if you if you if you walk a guy or hit a batter or he gets a base hit next thing you know you got this guy coming up that's just crushing baseballs i thought that uh, look and i'm not just saying this because it would help the standings i thought the way the cages had been playing that it was a chance to take two out of three because having three starters having some bona fide guys in the back end would help against a team that is really good in its own ballpark, specifically sitting home runs. And you saw that in specifically game two when Wathrich hits the go-ahead with two outs in the eighth inning yesterday, being able to jump out to a big lead in, as part of the sweep. But the thing that gets underestimated for Texas State, look, we know they don't have very much of a bullpen outside of Dixon and Stivers, but Stivers is really good. He's got 14 saves for a reason. He set their single-season school record. They've got 41 wins, which ties their single-season school record. And they are one – their magic number is one to clinch the regular season championship. So if they win a game against Georgia State this weekend or Georgia Southern loses a game to UT Arlington, they automatically get the number one spot. It could get interesting if the Eagles have a good weekend and sweep and Texas State gets swept. Then Georgia Southern went on the tiebreaker, so they would technically win the regular season, but that's a lot to happen for a team that's only lost 11 times all year. It's, it seemed like three pretty competitive games, but that is just a really tough team in their ballpark, especially since, I mean, the Eagles got two of those games there in mid-April, and they were number 10 in the country at the time. But Georgia Southern, I think, surprised them in a couple of different ways. They hit their home runs but the Eagles had to rally back in the ninth inning in the first game and then come back from five down in the second game just to do that. And even in game three, they squandered a ninth inning lead and Texas State walked off. But ever since then, I think Texas State has lost twice in 19 games. They've just been, they've won seven straight. They've been, them and Coastal are the two hottest teams in the league. It's one thing to be that way, but it's also another thing to play like it against really good competition. 
it seemed like a good series, but just one that they were a little bit better. Yeah, you know, it, it, I don't think I've been to a ballpark, though, that the wind is blowing from the minute you get there to the minute you leave. And yeah. I just, that was amazing to me. They literally call the area to the left of the press box where Jay and Top were probably set up. They call that area the wind tunnel. Oh. And they, they're they're pretty proud of it just because it's 20 to 30 almost every day. If you've got a lot of papers, you better find a lot of paper weights or some industrial strength tape. Otherwise, you're going to lose them. But, yeah, they're they're pretty proud of being able to call that area the wind tunnel. I'm pretty sure Jay and Top were using a, a gorilla tape there. I mean, <laughs> that's what was, we had to do. It was the same thing. It was black duct tape, and I'm I'm telling you, man, that that thing. What's nice for the fans, though, they would come up and get behind you because not in your game because they were probably it was probably too cold. But you know, as hot as it was, they were able to come up and get some relief from the the sun and get some breeze going through there. That's what I remember from the tournament, and it's been six years. I don't remember the wind being that bad six years ago, but I do remember how hot it was because we were all there in late May, and they yep. hadn't put their turf in yet, but it, it's Texas in May, so of course it's going to be hot. But I, I just – I remember how how smoky it was those those six games. I just don't remember the wind blowing that hard, but definitely remember the wind now. Well, back to game three real quick. You know, it's one of those things that uh, Coach Robe would talk about is that all teams are going to make a, a, a late inning push. And to keep your push relevant, you have to stop the other team. And, you know, the Cajuns scored two in the top of the seventh, but allowed Texas State to score two in the bottom of the seventh. Cajuns score five in the top of the eighth. The game would have been tied if we don't let them score two in the bottom. But at the same time, they've got players and they've got a team. They're not gonna, just going to lay down and let anybody uh, push them over. So. Got to keep them close. You know, we we had the same thing that you guys did being on the road there. So if you get something in the top of the inning, you got to make sure they don't get anything in the bottom half. The first two games, or maybe the first game and a half, Georgia Southern was okay at that. But the back half of the series, if Georgia Southern got something, Texas State was responding. They're really good at seeing, okay, you can do this. Well, we're going to do this. You think you can do this? We're going to do this a little bit better. And the lineup, they, they can crush. I think Dalton Sheffield right now is probably the player of the year. I know Carson Rockefeller's up to 60 RBIs, and Cajun hasn't done that since 14. But I would think that Sheffield is probably the league's player of the year if you voted right now. And he is the most important part of a really, really good lineup. Well, in all honesty, they're probably sending in the votes this week with only one week left in the in the regular season. So, but no, he's a hell of a player, but you know, even, even if you take away the, even if they did that, the Cajuns, Texas state four runs in the first inning, all with two outs. That's exactly what Georgia Southern did yesterday at Little Rock. If, yeah. it's, if you, this is the time of the year where if you can score with two outs, you are going to win a lot of games. You've got to be able to come up with clutch hitting. You've got to be able to do it with runners in scoring position, and you have to score with two outs if you're going to win championships. It and is that's, vital. And that's what South Alabama was good at last year. Yeah. So speaking of South Alabama, ULM travels traveled to South Alabama. Um, you, I, quite honestly, I, the games were closer than I thought they would be. And game one, ULM was up early and thinking, okay, ULM is going to try to set the tone, but then South scores 
every run, I think they scored the final 11 runs and it ended up being a boat race. But the last two games, ULM pitched well enough to give themselves a chance. But it seems like South Alabama's got some things figured out, and we've talked about that almost every week. If they could get their pitching right, they would be a threat because of that lineup's ability to take pitches and constantly get guys on base. They've still got Boswell in the number one, but they've moved JoJo Booker to the bullpen. He threw five no-hit innings at his outing over the weekend out of the pen. So that's found money. They've got Learman bumped up to the number two, and Walker Johnson, who was the midweek guy, got the game three start, quality start. He went six innings, gave up two runs. And the thing to note about the way they set their pitching up, Hunter Stokes, their first baseman, has two saves the last two weekends. Apparently, he pitched a little bit in high school, but he had some arm trouble. He asked to be more involved on the back end. They tried him the week before it worked. They tried him again against ULM. So if they just found a closer, that's a good time of the year to find a closer. That, that you know, Coach Steggs, we, we, we tried it once with Carson, but he wasn't a closer. Carson Rockford uh, wasn't a closer uh, for us, but he, he did try him one inning. But Coach Steggs, I know when uh, was here in 2013-14, uh, like likes to pull a guy out of uh, the outfield and come in and, and and pitch either an inning or even to a batter or two. So yeah. kind of dangerous at times, but hey, it's also worked. So uh, App State, UTA, both teams playing for their uh, their lives as far as trying to get into the tournament. Um, is UTA done? Well, right now they're 10th. Yeah. Right now they oh. would be in the tournament. Okay. But they do come to Statesboro this weekend. And the ironic thing is that the 11 and 12th place teams, ULM and Arkansas State, play each other. So one is going to knock the other out. But if you're Arkansas State, you've got to find a way to win at least two of those games on the road and hope that Georgia Southern sweeps. Or if you sweep, then the Eagles have to take at least two out of three from Arlington. That means that Arkansas State's magic number is two. So if any combination of their loss or if yeah, their losses and Georgia Southern losses gets to two, then they're eliminated from postseason contention. And then you've basically got UTA and ULM battling for that number 10 spot. I think it looks like everybody else is in. It's just a matter of where. But I was a little bit surprised that App State won the first two games because Arlington has at least held up some of the time at home this year. It, it was a couple of close games in games one and two, but what has plagued Arlington all year is not getting hits with runners in scoring position. I know Case and Gregory and Boone Montgomery have played well as of late. It, it kind of erupted for them in game three, which was nice to see. They beat App 7 nothing, and Cade Winquest, who might have the most arm talent of anybody on that roster, he goes eight shutout, gives up only two hits. And that's what Georgia Southern potentially has to deal with on Saturday to round out the regular season. So not exactly the best frame of mind for a guy that's coming off eight shutout, but at least you get them in your house. And for the Eagles, as we mentioned, they still have a chance to win a regular season title. It's a long shot with Texas State playing as well as they have, but also trying to maybe sew up and at large if you don't win the tournament. Yeah, the, the interesting part there is uh, UTA owes, owns the tiebreaker against ULM and Arkansas State. And they just played App State, who they're a game behind, is yeah. the only one that they would not. So UTA, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that has has, in my opinion, a little bit of the upper hand there, since they're like you said, they are the tenth seed currently. Yeah, they would. They 
they're going to have to lose at least two of three or get swept to give Arkansas State a chance. But if Arkansas State doesn't win at least two out of three at ULM, then they're automatically eliminated and ULM would have to become very big Georgia Southern fans. But even so, ULM's only a half game behind UTA for that number 10 spot. So for them, it's at least feasible. But Arkansas State would have a lot of work to do to just get in. It's a good deal. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm hit the wrong page here. <laughs> Coastal, Coastal Carolina at Troy. I know we've talked about Coastal's pitching quite a bit, um, but I'm still a little bit surprised Troy playing at home didn't, didn't, do, didn't get a better job done in, to, to steal one of those games. A lot like with the Cajuns in Texas State, Troy had a lead late in game one, but Coastal rallied. They've been, they've been really hot. They've won 16 of their last 19, even though they lost their midweek this past week at UNC Greensboro. They've got the lineup built to a spot where they're not going to hit a lot of home runs like Texas State will at home, but Coastal has gotten really good at getting the leadoff guy on. Like South Alabama, they take a boatload of pitches. They've got some speed at the top with White, and they score with two outs. They're, they're a very pesky offense to deal with, atypical of those Coastal teams that we've become accustomed to since they joined the league. But they've got really strong pitching especially from their starters, when you can go Van Scooter from the left and then Knorr, who's 94-96 from the right as a starter, and then you go to Parker on Sunday, who might be the best Sunday guy in the league at this point. He got knocked around a little bit by Troy, but even so, their offense had his back. And then bullpen-wise, Maniscalco and Carney have really stepped up. They've had to do it without Matt Joyce, who's out for the rest of the year because of injury, and he was their best arm out of the bullpen. But Maniscalco has been really important for them. Carney is a multi-inning guy. They pick their way through the rest. You might see a little bit of Potok, a little bit of Eikhoff, but those two specifically, being able to go multiple innings, they don't have that closer per se, but when you've got starters that consistently go six innings and give up two, three runs, most of the time you're going to be in pretty good shape, and that's what postseason plants, what everybody else is going to have to deal with depending on where they get seated. I hit the wrong thing. All right. So uh, Georgia State, Arkansas State, though, um, close games, or, or at least uh, two and three. Of them. So uh, Georgia State, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about uh, the, their last series at home here in, in, in the next segment. But at the same time, uh, I'm a little. I guess I expected a little bit more offense out of them being that they were playing at Arkansas state. And I guess the first game they had 10 runs, but um, seven runs, I guess they're pretty, Never mind. I'll just shut up and let you talk about it. <laughs> what I'll say about Georgia state is if they were going to try to stake any kind of claim to a top six seed, they needed to do what they did this past weekend disappointing for Arkansas State because I thought they had at least a chance to get two of those games and considering how much Georgia State has been struggling ever since that 10 and 2 start they got situational hitting in games two and three after dominating in game one you feel for Arkansas State because they started 0 and 12 they picked their way through to try to give themselves a chance but I mean you've only got three games left and now you've basically got a sweep on the road to even get a sniff of being in that top 10. We, we've talked about Tommy Rappos teams and how they seem to play their best baseball this time of the year. 
if they don't play their best baseball this time of the year, they're not going to get a chance to go to Montgomery. But for Georgia State at this point, they've got that number six seed. They are two games up on Troy, who is in seventh. So as long as Georgia State doesn't flatline this weekend at home against Texas State, which the way the Bobcats have been on the road this year is highly possible, then Georgia State would at least stay out of the bottom four and avoid the single elimination part. But if not, Troy would have to win on the road anyway because they've got to go to Boone, which is a little bit better this time of the year as opposed to going up there in March or April. But for Troy, going on the road and they've lost their last seven games overall, that's a tough ask for anybody. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that last weekend here in the next segment uh, a little bit more. Little Rock, Georgia Southern, though, you guys uh, came out and crushed them on Friday night. What happened the rest of the weekend? Well, even game one, it was a 2-2 game going into the seventh, and they went with Hayden Arnold, who was making his final start at Gary Hogan Field, somebody who had already set the school record for strikeouts. I thought he was going to get a chance to get to 300, but he finishes up with 298. I know he's got to start at Timor this weekend, but it would have been nice for him to get number 300 at home. He does reach 300 innings, and he did what he could. He, he, was, he was really solid, though. I liked his curveball. He went six and a third, gave up two runs while he was in the game, but he left it in the seventh with two guys on base, and both of them ended up scoring. Georgia Southern pushed seven across in the seventh, they ended up scoring 11 runs the final three innings, and it looked a lot wider of a gap than it was for the first two-thirds of the game. And then game two, they got out 5 nothing. Georgia Southern was playing comeback the entire way. They eventually cut it to one, but couldn't push the tying run across in the ninth, had a couple of chances late. And then yesterday, a rain-shortened six-inning game, but the Eagles got out early. They scored four runs with two outs in the first. They got 10 of their 12 runs after two outs, which – I love to be able to say they got that many runs with two outs and Lorock fought. They got four in the second inning, but once Jay Thompson came in out of the bullpen, that was pretty much that. And the lineup gave 13 hits. And ever since the break going into the Troy series, the offense has really been cooking. They're scoring about 13 runs per game over the last seven. And you, you love to see the offense doing that well as you're trying to figure out your pitching. You know that Fisher is going to be your number one. Payton has been inconsistent, but he's still somebody you got to give the ball as your number two. And then Jay Thompson's basically that Swiss Army knife, where if you need him in the third inning, the sixth inning, or the ninth inning, he, he's going to give you what he's got. Let's talk quickly about replay. I know you guys found out Little Rock has it up there this weekend. Yeah, yeah did, did not know about that. But, yeah, they had replay for two of the games. And evidently oh, only for two of them? Saturday, they had their commencement ceremonies, and they did not have the E-plus broadcast, but they had it for Friday and for Sunday, and you had reviews in both games. Game one, it actually helped because there was an interference call, a runner's lane interference on a bunt play in the fifth inning, which helped Georgia Southern because there was an angle that showed that Nathan Lyons was inside the first base bag. He was correctly called out. There was a call that could have helped Georgia Southern on Saturday. I'm not going to get into that very much, but even on Sunday – there were a couple of hit-by-pitches that got reviewed, and they both went Little Rock's way. But the fact that you wouldn't think that Little Rock would be one of the two teams in the league that would have replay, and that's not meant to disparage the Trojans, but I will give them an immense amount of credit for putting in the effort to making that possible. Yeah, I mean, two years ago, it was like they were broadcasting from their cell phone or something. Yeah. So they, they've really stepped their game up. But it, and, I, I thought that was the thing, though, with the league – the league had to vote on it. 
Yeah, there's been some inconsistencies as far as what teams have been told regarding replay. It, it's been different regarding that and umpire. With umpires, it had to be unanimous that everybody wanted four, and there were a couple of teams in the league that couldn't afford four, didn't want to pony up for four umpires. That's why we've had three again this year. But for replay, apparently it's if you had the resources to do it, you could do it. But a lot of places run the impression that if not everybody was doing it, it wasn't fair that only two teams had it. But it's ended up that Coastal and Little Rock have benefited from it this year. And for the sake of Georgia Southern, it changed the first game of the series. And ultimately, Eagles ended up winning it in a runaway. But you got to think how many other games across the league would have been changed if everybody had replay. It, we're all going to have it in Montgomery, but that's mind-boggling to think how much different things could be if we had replay at every ballpark. You know, it, it, you know, I, I think Coach Deggs was under the impression that it had to be, you know, the league vote on and say, yeah, go do it if you if you have the resource. But he wasn't – I don't think he was under that impression, but I don't want to speak for him. But go ahead. It, it, it's, it's difficult to try to rationalize when you think that nobody has it and then you realize, okay, Coastal does have it. Okay, Little Rock does have it. Well, how do they have it? What information were they told relative to what everybody else in the league was told? But the hope is, and all we can look at now is that everybody has it for 23 because you've got 14 teams next year. The, the thought is that two of the highest budgets in the league that are incoming are going to be able to have it maybe that'll prompt the rest of the league to agree on it and officially do it but not knowing where we are headed with that it, it is troubling to think that only two teams have it and the other 10 are just rolling dice on calls that are bang bang calls hit by pitches safe out plays of the plate but that, that that's 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 basically where we're at well i there was a situation in the cajuns game um umpire lost track of the count and the other two umpires didn't have the count that happens about once a year but he goes to the troy dugout and gets on a phone and talks to somebody and comes back and miraculously has the count right how do you do that if you don't have replay who is he talking to i know you're not going to say anything i don't know who to i don't know who to say he would be talking to Unless I mean, there's someone in a dark room sitting next to a red phone, but I have no idea who you're I mean, talking to to get that right. I'm a, the only thing I can think of, because we talked to Brent Freeman after the game, he didn't get a call in the TV booth. I mean, the only thing we can think of, I mean, that I can think of, uh, is that he called the, called the official score, someone in the press box. Well, let's just, let's put it this way. If for some reason he had to call to the streaming platform because it was on E+. And if they had to roll back tape at all to figure out what the count was, even if that's a minute detail, if they could do that, then why couldn't you have replay if that's how it happened? Well, he didn't. It didn't because we okay. talked to Brand after the game. Okay. But if that would have been part of yeah. it, it, then you're thinking, okay, how can you do that but not have replay, but at the same time, yeah, the count thing, it, 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 it happens. It's not supposed to, but it does. Well, in all honesty, he got, the, he, he got it right. But to pick up a phone in the dugout and call somebody is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah. And, and I just uh, – it's a very bad press. And this was right after he called uh, 
uh, Connor Kimple out when the ball was uh, at his chin on a strike where the bat never moved off his shoulder. So Cajun Deggs was not happy when the guy came out of the dugout, wanted to talk to Coach Deggs, and Coach Deggs just waved to him and said, no, let's play ball. Now, again, got the count right, but at the same time, it was about a five to seven minute delay. So, but not a fun weekend. So I've done enough bitching and moaning. Danny, let's take our break and then we'll come back. We'll talk next week's schedule. We'll talk a little bit about the, uh, uh, we'll take a look, quick look at midweek games, which I'm surprised there are so many. Then we'll get into next week's conference game and uh, maybe talk. Well, we've talked quite a bit about the, uh, the conference tournament. So you're listening. We're talking. We'll be back right after this short timeout. Welcome back in to We're Talking Today. We're talking baseball with Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Danny, uh, any, I see you guys got a, a, a game against Mercer midweek. Is that a makeup or was that always scheduled there? No, that was always scheduled there. Eagles ended the midweek portion of the schedule last year at Mercer. It's just how the schedule fell. And ironically, the last four games last year were the same four this year with Arlington coming to Statesboro. But the the benefit of having it here is that Mercer's a top 50 RPI team. They've got 38 wins. They've slipped a little bit in terms of their at-large because Wofford is far and away the number one in the SOCON. They're probably going to get it anyway. But that's a pretty important game for both at this point in the season. Yeah, I was a little surprised. I knew Mercer had a, a, a high RPI, and I was a little surprised. I mean, uh, UAB going to Troy. And that's actually at 10.30 a.m., I'm just noticing, unless the uh, the Sunbelt Conference's website is wrong. No, that is a 10.30 game. Wow. Well, uh, and UAB, I know uh, a couple weeks ago, I believe did, they either swept Southern Miss or they took two out of three. They took two out of three. Southern Miss has been on the downtick lately. They look they looked for sure like they were going to be a host, but they've they've definitely slipped a little bit. I know they lost their opener this weekend as well. They've they've dropped to number 20 in the RPI. They're still 38 and 14, 20 and 7 in conference USA. So they're fine, but uh, their hosting aspirations are probably thin at best. Yes. Uh, I was kind of hoping that just for the sake of having something to do on uh, on Tuesday morning besides work be able to throw the uh the troy game on but there's no tv i'll listen to barry on the on the radio at that point then so um clemson close coastal carolina another another big i don't know how clemson's doing but the acc is rocking everybody's world right now clemson has beaten anybody they can and lost to anybody they should Okay. It's very, very, very up and down. Their, their RPI looks really good because they play in the ACC and they've beaten teams that have benefited from high RPIs themselves. But if you're coastal, if you win that game, that probably locks you up for an at-large. Okay. That would be my guess. Yep. They're playing – well, Coastal's playing well too. So, I mean, it's it's not one of those things they're backing into it and, have, and need a win uh, against Clemson. But Clemson's going to Coastal. 
So it should should have a good crowd crowd in Conway next uh, this this Tuesday tomorrow and night. Consequently, if you're Clemson, if you win that game, then that's probably pretty helpful to you too. Very similar to Georgia Southern and Mercer. Yes, Wake Forest, App State. Um, again, Wake Forest, an ACC team, uh, and, and we we talked about it off air there. The Sun Belt, you know, with only two teams. Or, or App State even at 118, uh, they're not going to get in a large in that large bid by any means. But at the same time, that's very helpful to the Sun Belt Conference with and App State. I'll talk about it from Georgia Southern standpoint. At the time, didn't know how their season was going to go because that was the first conference series. But them being a top 150 RPI has allowed Georgia Southern's schedule to get stronger as the season has gone on. It, it's not so much when you play teams, but how they do after you play them, how much stronger they make their schedules. So the Eagles have only played 10 teams outside the top 150, which has really benefited them. They've only lost the one that was Little Rock on Saturday. But it's, it's, it's two different things because you've got to be who's in front of you, of course, and the record is whatever the record is when you play them. But if they get hot after you play them, especially if you beat them, it turns out that that can help you even more than just taking a series or taking a couple of games from them if they're midweeks. Yeah, and I just I did not realize that the Wake Forest is is currently at a 21 RPI, so 35 and 16. Yeah, they're having a really good year. Yeah, so it's one of those things that uh, App State can really help the league by taking one uh, on Tuesday night. The other games are, uh, well, Ole Miss at Arkansas State. Ole Miss just uh, swept LSU. Um, a little surprising they're headed to Arkansas State, but hey, uh, especially this late in the year. Um, I, I don't see Arkansas State doing anything there. It's, it's midweek baseball, though. I know. And, and you know, with Ole Miss, with SEC teams, they're starting to think about Hoover especially Ole Miss, who has jumped back into the at-large discussion. They were out as of two weeks ago, but they've gotten hot. They're now in the top 40, and they're not in a position to host, but they are definitely in at, as, as we do this when they were nowhere near it just a couple of weeks back. Concur. Uh, Nichols at, at, at Louisiana, it's, Nichols is a team that beat the Cajuns late in a game uh, early in the season. I think Cajuns want some revenge and need some revenge. Can't afford to drop this game. But you've also got a series against Little Rock at home where we'll put it on the table. It's a series that the Cajuns need to win, should win, to stay in that top four. But you look at the midweek as your tune-up. And not to say that Nichols isn't worthy of playing with the Cajuns, but the tune-up from the standpoint of, whatever didn't go right the previous weekend, find a way to get it corrected. And then whatever happens on the weekend, whatever, whatever's necessary to get at least two of those games to try to attain the best seed possible, then at least there is a chance if you're, if you're the Cajuns to, to be in that top where you don't have to worry about slipping out of the, slipping out of the top six to, you know, have to worry about the playing round. But at the same time, after losing three games where I think it surprised the league that that happened, probably needs to have South Alabama do a lot of good up in Conway 
to slip into that number three spot, but also be mindful that South Alabama is one game back of the Cajuns. So yeah. if South Al has a good weekend, then that's even more of a reason for the Cajuns to have a good weekend. Yeah. Um, it's, I, it looks like the, uh, the playing game because South Alabama has the edge on Troy taking two out of three and Georgia state and it, it'll be either Georgia state or Troy. That's in the, in the play, not the, the, the first round the single elimination part of the bracket. So uh, Cajuns have four games on Troy right now. So there's no way for us to get out of that, which is the good, good news. Yeah. You're safe there. Let's move on into this weekend schedule, which is uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Let's talk about it first. South Alabama heads to coastal Carolina. You, Cajun fans, go back a long way with South Alabama with the love hate with them. And most of the time it's hate, but uh, I think we're going to, we're all going to be Jags fans on the Cajun side this weekend. I know that hurts you guys to be able to say that, but for, from Georgia Southern standpoint, yeah, probably would hope that South Alabama does well because Coastal's only a half a game back the Eagles for second place. And technically, Georgia Southern is now the only team that could unseat Texas State in the regular season. They've clinched a share, but they can win it outright with one win. But yeah, I guess we got—I guess we got to pull for them Jaguars a little bit <laughs> this weekend at Conway. That's going to be a really good series, though. Well, but at the same time, we're we're hating on the Jags, but you guys have to pull for Georgia State. Oh, as the room goes quiet. <laughs> All right, you don't have to. Georgia, uh, Texas State going to Georgia State. Very interesting. Two teams that uh, hit a lot, a lot of long balls, but hit a long, lot of long balls in their own park. Uh, Georgia State's field is smaller than Texas State's, but Texas State has uh, wind blowing out all the time. Uh, can Georgia State take two out of three? Or um, I mean, I know they can. What's your thought there? They're going to have to defend, and that's something that Texas State will do. Their infield defense is very, very good with Thompson at third base, and Sheffield already talked about him as probably the player of the year at shortstop. If Georgia State can defend, they've slipped a little bit, and they've also had some mix and match with their infield. Abood's missed some time. Chaney has moved to third base after playing some shortstop. They've put Reddick at shortstop here and there after he jumped in the lineup at third base. Mize is still not really in the equation after he was a all-conference caliber guy going into the season. I, I would anticipate a lot of runs, and I would anticipate quite a few homers. The wind doesn't need to blow out in Panthersville because you're going to be able to hit home runs just because the ball jumps there. The back end, most of the time, is going to favor Texas State. It does again, but Georgia State's Watson and Jones they're pretty good at home and being that they just swept Arkansas state on the road and knowing that they've also got to keep winning if they're going to stay out of the bottom four. You know, Texas state only needs to win once to clinch a regular season. So that's a pretty compelling and motivating factor too. But I think that that's going to be a better series than people expect. I mean, Texas state's certainly favored and they're, better, they're the better team, but Georgia state is going to need to one defend and two they might need to score double digits every game to beat them. Wow. And that's just, that's just what I think. Yeah, no, 
and no, that's why you're on the on the shows. Get your opinion. No, I, I, I it's going to be very. I, I, I think Georgia State can win a game or two. I don't see them sweeping Texas State, and maybe that's a bias after just seeing what Texas State can do this weekend, this past weekend. So, it's very fresh in my mind. So, um. Got out of order here because I, I moved down. Uh, Troy, App State. Um, App State trying to stay out to stay in the tournament. Troy, well, Troy trying to stay out of the uh, the single elimination part of the bracket. What happens there? It looks like App is safe. They, they would need to probably get swept to knock out and – at the same time, ULM would probably need to sweep Arkansas State as all the factors collide and who needs to do this and who needs to do what, who's where, and how everybody's going to get their seating for the tournament. It, it, Troy has just been knocked off their perch because of Gaines. Garrett Gaines not being healthy has messed up their weekend rotation. They moved Rigsby Mosley into that Friday role, and it's still I, I still can't wrap my arms around the fact that one of the league's best hitters is now their top option on the mound, but they're, they're, I mean, maybe you get Gaines back for a little bit against UAB if you're going to be able to use them at all, or maybe you say, all right, let's throw some pens, not worry about live hitting, just save you for the tournament, or maybe it's just to a point where he can't come back, which would completely take them out of the chance to win the tournament. They've got to have him if they're going to have any chance to win. And then they're going to have they're going to have to hit their way through it. Pitching wise, I think they've got the, a couple of arms that could get them some innings in a tournament setting. But if they don't have Gainus, it's going to be awfully tough for them to make any noise. I I agree. I mean, it's I don't I don't think Troy has the pitching now. Uh, Cajuns were dominated by them when they in the first weekend series of Sun Belt Conference play. A lot has changed since then, but yes, oh, I agree. Uh, Arkansas State ULM. Uh, that's definitely a, a series that loser loser could go home. Oh, it's exactly what it is. Whoever loses the series, your season's probably over. Um, Especially well, if, if Arkansas State doesn't win at least two, then their season's over. Yes, yes. Um, it, I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to watching that series a little bit, but uh, won't have an opportunity until Sunday because all the games are pretty bunched up, but I see the, uh, uh, on Sunday, which we'll go into now a little rocket Louisiana. Uh, I see the Cajuns game. It still is a four o'clock start on Saturday, which it has been all year. Uh, even on the Saturday of the UL, ULM series Easter weekend, we have not moved ours up on Saturday. Like everybody else has for a getaway day. Um, but Little Rock, Louisiana, though. Um, Little Rock has a guy on Friday. Uh, what what do the Cajuns need to do, especially on Friday night, to 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 not only beat, but I think they have to sweep uh, Little Rock, in my opinion. We have, the Cajuns have to win the next four games. Starting with Hayden Arnold, he is a different guy on the road as opposed to Gary Hogan Field. I think Georgia Southern got – what he had left to finish out that part of their schedule. He's upper 80s fastball. It's a true 12-6 curveball. It's a tough pitch to square up because it has so much break to it. 
he he has been their guy for the last two years. He was the pitcher of the year in the league last year, so you know he's got the capability to do so. The the lineup is one that's hitting 300 as a team. You can look at their early schedule and see that they've been able to stack some things up playing almost everybody in the state of Illinois the first couple weekends of the season. But the the thing that helps them is they just got Noah Dickerson back. He missed the previous five games, and he came back for the final two games of the series. He had a home run in game two. He's hitting right in front of Canyon McWilliams, who's an all-conference guy, their first baseman. Chris Curry has compared him to John Cruck at first base, and he looks like him. He hits like him. He's got 10 home runs. He's hitting close to 400 this year. They've got veterans in that lineup with Figueroa, with Lyons, with Soto. Jake Wright is a first-year starter at catcher. He made a really good play on a pop-up behind the plate in game two and then ended up turning into a double play when Christian Avant tried to take second base. He's, he's an aware guy and gets worked a lot with a pitching staff that has really struggled this year outside of Arnold. You'll probably see Haas Brewer in game two on Friday. And then what Little Rock did in game two, we were supposed to see the lefty Michael Cavedo to finish out the series, but Little Rock had a lead, so they changed their pitching. They went with Cavedo out of the bullpen in game two. He goes four and two-thirds innings, and he didn't give up a run until a two-run home run in the eighth inning with two outs. So if, if it's to that point, I could see them doing that again. But if they can pick their way through and not have to go to Cavedo, he would start game three. But like I was talking about for Texas State, Georgia State, the Cajuns need to be ready to score because that Little Rock lineup can hit. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it, is that a thing that uh, Hayden Arnold, you think, I, I won't say overused, but he's he's got by far and away the most innings out of any Sunbelt Conference pitcher, I say far and away. Matt Boswell's right behind him, about six innings less. So I, I don't want to make it sound like he's got 20 or 30 more, but, you know, he, he's up there. And, and I'm not, this is not a question to disparage coaching or anything, but is that something that they've had no choice to do and you think his arm is, it might be getting a little sluggish now. You just saw him play. That's why I'm asking. Oh, I thought I thought he was fine, but I okay. do think I do think something to watch for, especially teams that are in the bottom four, for guys that are on Thursdays or at least getting bumped up a day, how much they get used. Because I would think that at least a couple of those guys would have to come back on two fewer days rest to pitch on Tuesday in the single elimination portion. So that could impact how much Arnold gets used on Thursday. I mean, he's he's going to start on Thursday, and he is going to start their Tuesday game if they're in the playing round. But do you hope that you can build a lead if you're Little Rock and get him out? Do you set a pitch count for him to make sure that he can get the proper rest and recuperation going into whoever they've got to play on Tuesday? And that's what every team in the league has got to think about relative to their own situation. I'm just noticing something. Uh, I, I did not realize that Little Rock was really that close to uh, uh, Troy, but uh, actually Troy would have the edge. No. No, Little Rock, Little Rock would three. have the edge, yes. Yeah, one, two, three. Okay. Um, very interesting. Even so, though, Little Rock would only be able to get to the number seven seed. Yeah, I was just they, thinking that, they too. Wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to get out of the bottom four. It's just a matter of wearing your home jersey or your road jersey on Tuesday. Well, next week we're going to get into that. It's a pet peeve of mine. Well, I'll just tell you right now. Wasn't happy that in softball, the, the Cajun girls are the number one seed and are the uh, 
away team in the championship game. That just bugs the living crap out of me. I feel like you, you've earned by, by placing yourself in the regular season, you've earned the right to be as the top seed. Yeah. That's where tournament bylaws come in and it's that, bullshit. That's a, that that's, that's a, that's a different discussion. I know, but that just, ugh. so lastly, I believe, I think we've hit everything there. Um, UTA at Georgia Southern, um, UTA fighting for their life. Uh, Georgia Southern playing well. What's, what's, uh, what does UTA need to do to beat the Eagles? And what do the Eagles need to do to hold off UTA? Oh, UTA had the right idea last weekend, keeping those first two games low scoring. They just didn't get the hits with runners in scoring position. And the lineup that nobody recognized at the beginning of the season has played together for, you know, 51 games now but you know that veteran guys need to come through especially if you're Gregory Montgomery I like Ponce at first base I know he's been in and out of the lineup but he hit that home run in game one of the coastal series which had them ahead going into the bottom of the ninth inning so somebody that's always a threat to go yard their, their starting pitching is going to give them a chance the two best relievers from a year ago are now their number one and two starters with Tanner King and Michael Wong and with Cade Winquest throwing on Sundays or in this case on Saturday. He's a mid-90s guy, potentially. He dealt with some arm issues a couple of years ago. He was their number one guy, but he's had to deal with some elbow problems over the last couple of years. You saw what they could do when things clicked for them in game three when they shut out upstate 7 nothing and WinQuest went eight two-hit innings. So there's, there's not a whole lot of margin for error with them, especially on the road where they have really, really struggled. They haven't won a road conference game all season. And then for Georgia Southern, you've got a Mercer game to prepare for Arlington. The Eagles just need to be locked in. And I know that's a really, really cliche thing to say, but Friday they were, Sunday they were, Saturday they eased into it. But by that time, Little Rock had jumped out 5 nothing. They hit some mistake pitches from Jalen Payton, got a couple of home runs got a couple of two-out knocks. They built a five-run lead. Georgia Southern has come back from deficits most of the year. But when Michael Cavedo came in out of the bullpen, they couldn't figure out how to do damage against him until Sammy Blancato hit that two-run home run in the eighth inning and even got a leadoff single in the ninth, but couldn't tie the game. They had to face Smallwood and couldn't get that tying run across. But Georgia Southern knows what it has a chance to play for. They know they could very well lock up and at large if they have a good week and Arlington you're playing for your seniors because if you don't have a good weekend then not only is that it for your seniors but that's it as far as your membership in this conference because you go to the WAC next year yeah I don't, I don't and I know they wouldn't want want to leave that bad taste in their mouths but let's go back real quick to uh Friday night with WinQuest and then Saturday well I guess Thursday night WinQuest and uh and Friday with Wong I mean, you, you mentioned that they were their top relievers last year, and I think that's a great example to show to younger pitchers, I guess, that may not think they, that, that they're, they're being used correct or, or they're, you know, it's one of those things that your next season, you could be a starter. I mean, a prime example, you know, the Cavs' top four pitchers are all seniors. They're going to be looking for starters next year. So, um I really like what the two of them have done early on. Uh, UTA just wasn't effective, but they would have been playing like they're playing now. 
they probably wouldn't be struggling as much. I'm to, struggling to get into the tournament is my my thought. Yeah, the Darren Thomas has been their head coach for a long time. He's one of the most respected guys anywhere. I know he and Rodney Hennon have a really good relationship. They always enjoy getting a chance to speak whenever their teams play. And it's, it's, it's been nice having Arlington on the schedule almost every year because with as much as we missed Texas State in a number of different sports, Georgia Southern and Arlington have played every year since the Eagles started playing Sunbelt baseball back in 2015. Eagles have been lucky enough to take every series between the two. But it is a, it is a well-run program. It is a respected program. And for teams that do it the right way, you don't like seeing a 15 and 36 record because you feel like teams that do it the right way deserve better. And the way that they played against App State, maybe that's a jumping off point with how they've rearranged their starting pitching. They don't have much of a bullpen, but you know that David Moffitt's probably going to pitch twice this weekend. If necessary, they'll go to Matt Novus, but probably not too much else. But you, you do wonder if they'll be able to get something going, or if they can't, then this is literally their final hurrah in the Sun Belt. Yes. Well, Danny, as always, thank you. Uh, unless you have any more words of wisdom, I know you got back in late last night. I got back in late last night to town. I did not realize we were both out of town, but it makes sense because we're both home this weekend. <laughs> so. Uh, let's, let's just say that it is about to get fun. I don't know who it's going to be fun for, but this is a great time of year. One week left in the regular season. You're starting to formulate plans to get to Montgomery. If you're lucky enough to be going, you're looking at matchups. You're seeing who's going to pitch where, where can we eat? Who can we hang out with? <laughs> and hopefully, a, and hopefully a week long celebration of this league. And ultimately one team is going to get an automatic bid and hopefully a couple of others get to go to the NCAA regionals but this is this is a great great time of the year and very very excited to get it going especially with Mercer here on Tuesday yeah it, it truly is and it's going to be fun whether uh the the Cajuns are the the team that's on the outside looking in but it's going to be fun to see uh hopefully three teams from the Sun Belt make it into the NCAA tournament but a lot of baseball left to play so uh oh I got an alarm going off, which is not supposed to be going off. I'm not sure. So, Danny, thank you so much, as always. Appreciate your time. You got it, buddy. And we will talk uh, next Sunday night since we'll both be driving to Montgomery on Monday. We should have a tournament preview by the time next Sunday rolls around. Can't wait. Yeah, it'll be fun. All right, Danny, we've been listening. To, we've been talking about baseball. And we're listening to We're Talking with Craig Malosa and Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. We'll talk to you all next week. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.